Traditionally, getting really high horsepower and reliability out of a Subaru four-cylinder engine has been somewhat challenging. And we're here with Lee from DeShell Performance Engines to talk about what goes into a reliable Subaru engine when you're punching out perhaps north of 600 kilowatts. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures and presented it in podcast format for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. For a start, Lee, can we talk about some of the known issues with the Subaru engines and particularly, I know uh, they're very prone for uh, bearing issues, particularly yep. the big end bearing. That yep. seems to be a common problem with them. Yep. What is the, the reason behind that and why do people have so much trouble keeping them together? Mate, I think it's probably down to maybe the bearing size, oil pump, uh, which now we can upgrade. We run higher pressure. Uh, we actually modify the oil galleries in the block to feed the, uh, the mains with the ones that do lack oil. I think that and setting up the clearances, definitely. We have got a couple of bearing mods that we do do, which uh, has dramatically helped. Yeah, just to go back for those who maybe aren't aware of what we're talking about, the, the narrow bearing. So this is a, a, an issue with the Subaru engine design. It's it's a horizontally opposed boxer four-cylinder yep. and it, it is a very short engine front to rear. So if you look at a crankshaft, the, there's not a lot of material for the, the big end journal. So this is what we're talking about. The, the bearing is physically much narrower than a typical inline four. Yep, it is, definitely. Okay, so therefore the issue is the bearing can't do such a good job of supporting the load when we start running higher power? Yep, higher power and also with RPM I started to really notice that that also had a dramatic effect on the bearings. Alright, so the, the narrow bearing, that's one issue but you sort of also talked around some of the other areas there that uh, that sort of go hand in hand. It's not a, a one size fits all fix, there's a few elements to it. I mean most people would be aware, particularly on a, a race track where you're starting to get high lateral g-force, uh, the factory sump can be a, a problem yep. and then you're not actually getting oil to, to the oil pump. So so are the solutions for that or is the factory sum up to task? Look, it is up to task. If you're drag racing, roll racing, it's fine. If you are going around the circuit, it does definitely become a problem, but it, mainly under braking. And for those, again, who maybe aren't putting, joining the dots here, if the oil pump can't pick up oil and suddenly it gets a, a lung full of air, it's pumping that air through and all of a sudden we get metal-to-metal contact between the crankshaft and the bearing and, and that's game over. So let's now talk about the, the oil pump, which is that next sort of element in the, in the chain there. So yep. what are the problems there with the factory oil pump that you're trying to resolve? Look, mainly supplying enough oil because the block does grow a lot. A lot of people that do build the motor tend to set the clearances up too loose on the mains. That is one of the main critical points that people go wrong. We actually tighten them up and when they get hot, they expand. And yeah, we go a bigger oil pump for more flow, probably running a good viscosity oil. And it seems to definitely eliminate, if you do have pressure and you don't pick up problems, you will eliminate that by uh, yeah tightening those things. The factory oil pumps though, no problems with the EJ in terms of the, the pump actually uh, breaking, which we see with a, a lot of factory pumps? It's very, very rare. I hardly ever see it. I think I, in my whole time of building engines, I've only probably ever seen two break and they've been high kilometres, you know. 
Okay, so, so that pump's there to increase the, the physical volume of, of oil and by increasing the volume of oil, obviously the viscosity plays into that as well, but that's going to help improve the, the oil pressure. Just the, the aspect you just mentioned there with the, the block growing and the clearances. So quite often if we look at factory clearances for a production engine and we're taking that engine and maybe we're going to double the power, it's a reasonably common trend to sort of build the engine on the looser side of the factory tolerance or maybe even slightly outside the factory tolerance yep. with the, the fact that uh, the crankshaft is going to flex and we want to stay away from metal to metal contact. Yep. So you're saying that that's... Uh, not the way we want to go with an EJ? No, definitely not. Um, with such a short crankshaft, I don't think you get the whip or the flex in it like you would if it was, say, a six-cylinder or something a lot longer. Okay, so I, I think that would be a common modification for those who are coming into the EJ engine with no previous experience in an area that's where potentially they are going wrong. They tend to run sort of, I guess, like you look at old-school V8-type theories where one inch per journal, uh, one thousand per every inch of journal, but... With these, yes, on the big ends, but on the mains, no. Definitely tighter. You've got to pull them like back to factory, um, and they're a lot more successful with that. Now, the other element there is that the EJ series engine, or any boxer engine for that matter, you know, physically it's trying to sort of tear itself apart when you're yep. making high power. And I mean, I've seen my fair share of these engines and pieces where there's really obvious signs of significant fretting between the two halves of the crankcase. And that fretting is basically where we know that we're getting relative movement. So everything's flexing uh, and significantly more than you'd, you'd maybe think. So what, how much of an issue is that and other solutions for that? Look, um, yes, it does happen. We have made our own uh, case stud kit. Uh, which has worked very, very well. Um, we've seen when the boost comes on, oil pressure drop off with factory case bolts when the cases start to pull apart. When we put our we put a new stud kit in, and uh, it's obviously a lot higher tensile, uh, it does solve that problem. The threading you will get a little bit of still because it's just basically a design in the engine, but uh, our case stud kit has dramatically helped hold oil pressure at high power. And when you say that, that oil pressure is dropping off at high power levels, so I'm guessing here that it's actually moving the block apart enough that it's just creating an internal leak? Correct, it is, yeah. It's pulling the mains apart. Now, of course, when you're dealing with an alloy block, when you go to a, a much stronger stud material or go to a stud from a bolt, something that you can get a lot more clamping force, the knock-on effect of that is you can end up and almost certainly will end up distorting the, the main bearing tunnel. Yep. So I assume here line honing is an absolute essential? Yes, definitely, for sure. It's a, it's a must. You, you won't be able to get the clearances right without it. Now, I'm interested in your take on this because I've actually just had a conversation with one of our members on our forum and whereby what they've done is basically taken a set of ARP studs and the machine shop has basically undertorqued them compared to ARP specification uh, in order to not get the distortion. And I know that this is a reasonably common move. Uh, I've seen this in the Honda world as well. Uh, certainly from my perspective, uh, I don't see that that's a good solution. If I'm going to use an ARP stud, I want to use the manufacturer's torque. Yeah. So is that worth doing in any way, shape or form in your opinion? Not with them because I have actually Rockwell t tested their studs and unless you do get close to what they recommend, you're not going to have the clamp load. Once it gets hot and things settle, it, they will be loose and you, you'll go backwards. So 
I would recommend. If you can and you don't pull threads out of blocks and things like that, and if that is not an issue, definitely stick to their recommended specs if you can. Glad we cleared that up. I mean, from my perspective, if I'm using a part from a manufacturer, it makes sense that I'm going to use their recommendation. Now, another element I wanted to talk about with the EJE series engines is uh, getting them to spool turbochargers. And this is, again, I've, I've tuned a lot of four-cylinder engines, uh, EJE, FA, and obviously every inline four-cylinder that's popular from Japan. And if we take a two-liter, let's say a 4G63, and we compare that to a EJ20, and we put the same turbo on them, maybe something reasonably large, generally, all things being equal, we're going to see that EJ will spool quite a lot later. Now, is this an element of the engine's physical design or is this due to the exhaust manifold design being that generally that has to be longer on an EJ? Definitely. I think it comes down to the exhaust heat with a longer manifold. It's obviously not going to be as hot by the time it probably gets to the turbocharger, so you may be losing there. Filling that as pipes up um, and then always on a Subaru, you always have very long you know, intercooler piping when you've got a front mount. So those things combined, I think, are probably working in against you in that regard. All right, so we've got a bit of detail now on, on the background of the engine and some of those problems and, and how to overcome them. I'm interested in diving a little bit into uh, the car that you've got uh, here behind you. Yep. So this is your drag car, and uh, from my, if my memory serves correct, you said it'd run 880, 161 mile an hour? Yes, that's correct. So that's, um, that's pretty quick for a, a Subaru. Obviously, there's faster out there in the world, but yep, definitely yep. It's, it's no slouch. Yep. Can you talk to us, uh, first of all, about the engine combination you're using with this? Sure. So it's a EJ25 block, uh, fully closed deck, 40 mil head stuck conversion. We actually run a 2-litre 75 mil stroke crank. We put a longer rod to get help with the harmonics, which has done that significantly, like actually better than what I thought. The engine has gone to 10.3 with a steel rod uh, quite a number of times now, which has surprised me, and it's still going, and it's got very good oil pressure and everything's this head sealing is perfect. It is really holding its own. It's surprising. 10.3 is definitely no joke. Yep. And for those who maybe aren't uh, fully up to speed with all of the different Subaru engine combinations, that 2.5 block with the 2-litre crank, what's the capacity coming out to? A 2.3 4-litre, basically, yeah. So it's gone 10.3 or whatever you just mentioned there in terms of maximum RPM. Yep. What do you try and shift it at typically? I try to shift around 9.5 maximum, but sometimes I get carried away. <laughs> Can you talk to us about the uh, turbo combination you've got on, on, on the engine as well? Yeah, so it's a, a Precision 7675 with a single entry 0.94 housing on it. It's currently on about 45 pounds of boost and we're estimating it would be about 650 kilowatt at the wheels on a mainline chassis. So, so estimating, so you, you don't you haven't tuned it at that power level on a dyno? Uh, we have with the converter. It only shows about 500, but it's definitely making more. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com slash free and start developing your own skills today. All right, we'll talk about the, the transmission because that's an interesting aspect in a moment. But before we move on from the turbo, yep. uh, you've got a, a reasonably unique position for that turbo. And... Is this about trying to minimise the, the runner length, which we were just talking about? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Shorten the intercooler piping up. 
and uh, yeah, just be a little bit different, I suppose, from other people. So yeah, and uh, but mainly yeah, definitely shorten the pipes up of Okay, so we move on to the transmission because particularly with the the GC8, uh, that was the sort of Achilles heel of of that chassis was the the factory transmission. Yep. Obviously, there's aftermarket sequentials, there's gear sets for the factory box, and a lot of people go to the six-speed as well, which is, in its own right, a pretty strong combination. You've gone quite a different route with this, with an automatic. So can you talk to us about your reasoning behind that? Sure. So when we started playing around with the car, went in the drag racing route, like of things so and just that was the way it went and i thought the most reliable way to go for drag racing and to get the best times was to stick with a subaru automatic gearbox so we found one from an svx and uh we used that as our base to start with and um yeah just modified it modified it and got it quite good so yeah what, I, what I've seen with a lot of people that have gone down the factory uh auto route is that there's definitely some advantages there in terms of uh, sort of not upsetting the, the car and, and the traction, particularly during the shift. Generally, it's a little bit easier on the components as well yep. with the, the initial hit getting off the line. Yep. But I also see a lot of people spend quite a few seasons kind of working through the inherent problems and finding the, the next weak point in the box. Is that the same situation you had? Oh, definitely. There was actually times where I came close to giving up on it and um, just stuck it out and it just happened to fluke a couple of things that we modified that took it to another level um we've played around the line pressure like we're up at 260 psi line pressure at the moment and it's helped a lot as well with getting it more reliable with having that extra clamp obviously the clutches wider band it's definitely been a learning curve for sure in terms of getting the the car off the line, are, are you using anything like nitrous to spool the turbo? Because that sort of tends to become the next problem with a large turbo, small capacity engine with a a, a torque converter. Yeah, so we're using a um, we're using seventy five shot uh, to bring it up to it. We're leaving it around five thousand with a trans brake, and it stays on. The nitrous stays on and to the end of first gear and turns off for the rest. Yeah. So once you're out of the end of first gear, basically the turbo's got sufficient boost to be you know, able to sustain itself. That's right, correct. And in that regard, just with traction, etc., are you using uh, a boost control strategy as you go down the strip or is it all in and that's it? No, it's just all in at the moment. And uh, funny enough, it's actually starting to lift the front inside wheel off the ground in second gear. So, yeah, we're just letting it have it. So, yeah, whatever it'll take. All right, look, great to, to find out a little bit more about the, the car there, Lee, and uh, appreciate your time talking us through the Subaru engine. Yep. And obviously you run your own uh, engine building uh, specialist workshop. Yep. If people want to find out a little bit more about you, where can they go to? Uh, just to shellperformance.com. Um, and yeah, we'll have engine packages that we do online and what we kind of specialise in. Sometimes there's a few articles on there. So yeah, of what's happening. Perfect. Thanks a lot for your time, Lee. No worries, Andre. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.